0: Hi interns and welcome back. I'm super excited that we are back for another week in a row and we are working our way through season one and I don't know, I'm loving it, but I am also kind of looking forward to a little break in between seasons. Um, But I would love to know what you think. So Uh, find me on social media. You can find Miss Medical Podcast on Instagram, and come tell me what you think. Today's story I have for you is a historical case, and it might be one that you're already familiar with, if you're as keenly interested in medical stories as I am. Given how cold it has been here in Alberta lately. As I'm drafting this episode, it's minus 37 degrees Celsius, but feels like minus 50 thanks to the wind chill, which is negative 58 Fahrenheit for any Americans listening. It kind of makes this story even more fitting. And In a really strange coincidence, I looked this up to write the episode on the 42nd anniversary of when it happened, but to the exact date. So, with all that being said, let's dive in to Jean's story. Welcome to the Miss Medical Podcast. Diagnosis Flatline. I'm your host, Destry Godwin. Miss Medical explores stories of misdiagnosis, malpractice, mysteries, and misogyny. You're my interns, and this is where true crime and medicine collide. This is Miss Medical. a saying at the hospital, and it's one that I've heard more frequently since the cold weather settled in here. And the saying goes, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. And while that might seem odd and counterintuitive, as in don't people tend to get cold When they die rather than warm, it came around for a reason, and Jean very possibly is the reason for it. On a cold December night, just five days before Christmas, all the way back in 1980, Jean was a lively 19-year-old who lived in Minnesota, USA. She had been out that night with some friends, likely in the festive mood of the season. Around midnight, she decided to call it a night, got into her dad's Ford LTD, and headed off. I couldn't find any reports as to if Jean was drinking alcohol that night, but what we do know is that Jean's car hit a patch of ice on her drive back to her parents' house and slid into the ditch. News articles published at the time said the accident occurred near the edge of the White Earth Indian Reservation near Langby, Minnesota. Apparently, this gravel road was a shortcut on her way home, but Combining the icy gravel with a car that was rear-wheel drive and did not have anti-lock brakes, it was a recipe for disaster from the beginning. Jean attempted to get the car back on the road, but was not successful. There are a few conflicting reports on this detail as well. Some reports state that the car stalled in the frigid temperatures, while others say the car was simply too stuck in the ditch to budge. Now, in our present-day world, it would be easy enough to just grab your cell phone and call for help. But back in the 80s, in rural Minnesota, that just wasn't an option. Working in Jean's favor, however, was the fact that she knew her small community well, and knew of a friend's house that was nearby. See, at the time, Jean was dating a man named Paul. And Paul's best friend was Wally. And Wally lived somewhere right near where Jean had run off the road. Paul and Wally had both been out with Jean that night. They had all been dancing at the Foston Legion, which was apparently the hip place to be. I don't know for certain, but apparently Wally had taken a woman home with him from the Legion that night, so I'm guessing that he might have left a little bit before Jean did. And this would make sense, and it would explain why Jean, for one, assumed that he would be home, and for two, knew that he wouldn't drive past her crashed car on his way home. Well, she certainly wasn't dressed appropriately for the weather, She had a coat and mittens and cowboy boots. She also didn't really have any other options. I didn't know Minnesota got such extreme winter temperatures, but it's been reported that it was roughly minus 30 degrees Celsius or minus 22 Fahrenheit that night when Jean set out on foot. What Jean couldn't have known, though, was that she was much farther away from her friend's house than she thought. She had expected to see the warm, glowing lights just over the crest of the hill in front of her, but it wasn't. And it wasn't over the next one, or the next one. I don't know what Jean was feeling in these moments, but you know that feeling when you've gotten on a roller coaster and you're all strapped in and it's climbing its way to the top and you're so high up, but you're only actually halfway and you realize that you've overestimated your own bravery and you want nothing more than to just get off? even though you know it's impossible? Well, I'd imagine that's somewhat how Jean felt. She hadn't anticipated the walk to be as long as it was. She was painfully cold, but she really didn't have the option of turning back at this point. And most likely, going all the way back to the car would be even farther than just pushing on ahead. All in all, Jean walked 3.2 kilometers, or two miles, in the freezing night. And she did end up finding the house of her friend, Wally Nelson, who, it's, it's Wally, not Willie, so sadly no connection here to Willie Nelson. But she didn't make it to that warm, safe haven. Jean saw the house through the trees, but that's where her memory goes dark. Examining the path Jean took and the snow-covered ground, the general consensus is that in her rush to get to her friend's door, she tripped. She was already likely in a state of hypothermia by now, which can cause confusion loss of coordination, and loss of consciousness. Jean crawled on her hands and knees and made it all the way up onto Wally's doorstep before the last of the fight went out of her. Had she been just five minutes ahead of the hypothermia she would have been conscious long enough to bang on his door. For six long hours, that's where Jean stayed, in a frozen pile on her friend's doorstep. And that's where Wally found her at 7am the next morning. I think it's worth mentioning that Wally was a cattle rancher and a part-time butcher. Because I think that played a role in how much he was able to keep his cool when he came out and found his best friend's girlfriend frozen solid on his porch. Wally's initial reaction was the same as what almost anybody else's would be. He assumed she was dead. But when he dragged her solid, icy mass closer to the house, he saw the faintest glimmer of hope. While Jean's eyes were open and fully frozen, he did spot small bubbles forming near her nose. With this realization, Wally jumped into action with the help of his, um, lady friend who had spent the night. They initially tried to put Jean in the cab of Wally's truck, but her body was so stiff they couldn't bend it in any way that would convince it to fit into the truck. And so, one of our real unsung heroes the lady friend from the night before, let Wally load the frozen body into her car for the drive to the closest hospital. At the Foston Hospital, the situation seemed, well, pretty hopeless. Let's remember that this was back in 1980 in fairly rural Minnesota. I mean, Wikipedia has the population of Foston back then being just about 1,600 people. It certainly wouldn't be a large, state-of-the-art hospital servicing the area. And Jean was frozen solid. Literally. Staff attempted to insert a hypodermic needle. This, I'm not exactly sure of the reasoning for because she's frozen? Were they expecting to draw blood? Or were they going to try running warm fluids through an IV? But the reason didn't matter much considering their attempts were futile. The needles just broke off in the way you'd kind of expect them to if you tried to jab an ice cube. Their other attempts at assessing Jean's overall state weren't terribly successful either. Her temperature was too low to even register on their thermometer. And to note, from what I could find, the thermometer's lowest reading it could produce would be about 88 degrees Fahrenheit or 31 degrees Celsius, which is a solid way below normal, considering most people exist in the range of 97 degrees Fahrenheit, give or take, or 36 degrees Celsius. Beyond that, her eyes were frozen solid, and, as you could expect, were completely unresponsive to light. But the medical staff weren't ready to throw in the towel and declare Jean a lost cause. Because you know, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. And technically, Jean wasn't actually dead. They were, albeit shockingly, able to detect a very faint pulse, almost undetectable under her frozen skin, and chugging along at only 12 beats per minute. Considering all of the factors here, how long she had been outside, how frozen she was, medical technologies available, the staff wasn't holding out high hopes of being able to revive Jean. I'm not sure they even had a protocol in place for such extreme situations. So, they did the most logical thing they could think of. They used heating pads to start warming her up. Now, I think the general expectation probably would have been that even if they did warm her up to a normal temperature, that the organ damage and brain damage would be too extensive to support life. While humans can be fairly resilient to many health things, our bodies can be surprisingly fickle about its ideal living conditions. Our body is constantly working to regulate these factors. Things like pH, glucose, insulin, sodium levels, potassium, temperature. And things go wrong really fast when even just one of these things gets out of whack. And freezing a human solid definitely messes with these things. But Jean was a fighter, and she fought what seemed like impossible odds. By mid-morning that same day, she started spasming. And then she did what nobody expected. She woke up. While this in itself seemed like a miracle, Jean continued to progress as she warmed up, and by noon, it was almost like the whole thing had been a twisted fever dream. She was awake, she was communicating, she was speaking as if nothing had happened. Now, we know in nature that there are creatures— That are able to adapt to freezing temperatures in pretty creative ways. Frogs, for example, who essentially freeze themselves into a state of suspended animation. It's actually a really cool process that involves the frogs having extreme amounts of glucose in their cells, which acts like an antifreeze by keeping water inside the cells. This is important because in humans, when the water in our blood and tissue starts to freeze, it encourages our body to give water from our cells to make up for it, causing those cells to become dehydrated and die. But I'm getting off topic here because... While it's a really cool ability that wood frogs have, Jean was certainly not a wood frog. So, how did she manage to survive? Well, when humans start getting cold or near a state of early hypothermia, our body tries to protect itself and our most important organs. Our heart, lungs, kidneys, liver, etc. To do that, our body stops sending out so much blood to our extremities. After all, we could survive without those, but not without our heart. As our temperature drops and our body desperately tries to preserve heat where it needs it most, Combined with the fact our blood is fairly liquid and liquid things get somewhat less liquidy at cold temperatures, our blood flow slows down, circulation slows down, heart rate slows down, and with a less amount of demand on account of everything in your body just moving slower... It doesn't require as much energy or resources, and so you require less oxygen. If you take this to an extreme enough level, you'll get Gene, who basically entered a state of literal hibernation. And that's coming from a standpoint that many bears do not in fact Truly hibernate, but I am not going off on that tangent right now. Live Science published an interesting article detailing a study done on suspended animation in garden worms and yeast. Yeah, like the stuff that makes your bread rise. And yes, that is like the weirdest combination of things to study, but. If it gets the job done in the name of science, I'm here for it. The study showed that oxygen deprivation happening first, before being frozen, was a key element to both, uh, let's call them subject groups, being able to be revived after being frozen. And this wasn't just a small result either. When exposing the yeast and worm embryos to freezing temperatures, 99% of them died within 24 hours. But when reducing the oxygen first, 66% of the yeast and a whopping 97% of the worms survived after being warmed up again and reintroduced to their old pal oxygen but again i digress let's go back to our story one of the key pieces to survival for a patient like jean is controlling the rate they are warmed up again so their blood flow increases at roughly the same rate as their temperature. Kind of back to that idea of if there is one thing that goes awry, then everything goes awry when it comes to our body's finicky need for homeostasis. In modern medicine, we have machines that can specifically handle this balance, which you might even be familiar with if you were a fan of Grey's Anatomy and recall an episode where a certain protagonist ended up in some very cold water. The machine literally passes your blood out of your body, through its warming device, and back into your body, warming you up from the inside out. I imagine it must be like when you take a sip of a hot drink on a cold day, And feel the warmth all the way down to your stomach. Except you'd be unconscious, of course. But for Jean, in rural Minnesota in 1980, that wasn't an option. So while modern medicine has continued to successfully thaw out frozen humans, I think it's important to remember Just how miraculous Jean's story is, being thought out with nothing more than heating pads. Following Jean's recovery, her story was a media sensation. She had escaped what seemed like certain death with nothing more than some blistered toes from frostbite. There were interviews, news stories, and she even appeared on the Today Show. But as is with anything in life, the attention started to fade as the world moved on to whatever the next big story was, and Jean moved on with her life too. An interview I found from 2018 with Jean detailed her surprisingly normal life following her medical miracle. She got married and had children, though ultimately ended up getting divorced. At that time, she was living in Cambridge, Minnesota, a few hours away from where the whole incident occurred, and was working at her local Walmart. In that interview, she said she had no lingering health issues from the whole ordeal, and that she also didn't have any revelations during her time when she was frozen. There was no light for her to to decide to walk towards, no message from the beyond. She just remembers waking up in the hospital. Though, considering she was more in a state of hibernation than a state of dying, perhaps that's why she didn't have any of those near-death experiences. Today, Jean would be in her early 60s. Her story has continued circulating through media and the internet, including an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and many, many threads On Reddit. And our fascination with human hibernation certainly isn't over. Google searches will bring you other notable patients surviving the same extreme temperature situations, like Justin Smith of Pennsylvania, who in 2016 was found frozen on the side of the road after a night of drinking. It was estimated he had been exposed to the elements for nearly 12 hours, and there was even a coroner on scene to investigate the death. But thanks to the judgment call of one ER doctor who refused to declare Justin dead at that temperature, he made a full recovery. Or you might find the story of a Canadian although a very small Canadian, Erica Norby, who, as a toddler, just barely a year old in 2001, wandered alone outside wearing nothing but a diaper, and wasn't found until hours later. Though she appeared dead, she also made a full recovery. I'm glad to have been able to bring you a story of survival today and the incredible things that our human body is capable of. But if you were needing a sign to keep a winter survival kit in your car, well, consider this your flashing neon sign. Stay warm out there, interns, and we'll see you next week. For sources and additional show notes, follow the link in the episode summary to our website. If you'd like to see pictures related to the episodes and the Miss Medical podcast, you can find us on Instagram as Miss Medical Podcast. If you love Miss Medical and want to support the show, find us on Patreon where you can officially join the intern team. All episodes are written by myself and aim to be as factually accurate as possible. Music is an original composition recorded and produced by Jason James. And of course, make sure you follow the podcast on your chosen platform so you never miss an episode.